Take your Bibles, Exodus chapter 30. We've been going, working through a series on worship. Verses 34 through 38. Tonight we're going to talk again, preach again about the scent of biblical worship. Exodus 30, verse 34 through 38. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacte, anica, galbanum, these sweet spices, with pure frankincense, of each there shall be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, if I can say it. Tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small. And put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. Notice this. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Verse 38. Whosoever shall make like unto that, to smell thereto, shall even be cut off from his people. We introduced this topic a couple of weeks ago before we took a break for Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. And I'll remind you that these instructions about this incense are a part of the scriptures that are devoted to the putting together of the tabernacle. Of course, you know that tabernacle at, at first was portable. And they, they moved... It, when they moved, as they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years. But what's interesting is every piece of cloth, every board, every piece of furniture, every item in that tabernacle was developed and designed for use in worshiping God. Now, again, the whole tabernacle was holy. We had the holy place, and you had the holy of holies. It was there that God would meet with Moses and Aaron. It was there that God would meet with the people of Israel. It was there they were to come to bring sacrifices. And it was there that the worship of God went on every day. 
But most of all, it was there atonement was made for sin. Aren't you glad for atonement? So everything about that tabernacle was holy, set apart to be used to worship God. Our focus tonight is on the incense they burned in the tabernacle. Now, I mentioned two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, whatever it was, that a lot of what I'm going to preach about is subjective. But I do believe that this incense also speaks of Jesus Christ and his worship. This incense was burned there in the tabernacle. And not only did the smoke rise toward heaven, the aroma rose toward heaven. And that aroma came before God, and God was pleased. It pleased him greatly. But we can imagine that as this incense burned, not only did the smoke ascend and the aroma ascend to God, it filled the tabernacle. It filled, the fragrance filled the tabernacle. And I realized only the priests were allowed in there in the holy place. But it reminded them that when you were in there, worship was going on. What you were doing was for the glory of God. And I believe that real worship has a way of making its presence known. My friend, and you know it, there's nothing like worshiping our God. I hope that it's not just Sunday or Wednesday for you. I hope you take time to worship him during the week. Now, again, Jesse read from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 this morning about not failing to come together, encouraging one another, lifting one another up. And so that's important. But some of the best worship I've had has been me and God. And I know it's true in your life. Make worship a daily part of your life. So tonight we're going to continue preaching on the subject of the scent of biblical worship. And we're going to look at these spices. We're going to break them down. The first couple, not in much detail. We did that a few weeks ago. And I also want to clarify, as, as a preacher, we have to be careful in not making the Word of God say more than it says. 
Chuck Swindoll said, you can't make it work on all, walk on all four legs. So I am not saying that each one of these represent a part of Christ. My point tonight and next week, as we share about the materials, uh, the ministry, the mixing, and all of that of incense, we're going to hopefully get through those things. My focus is going to be, is going to be on how precious Christ is. Now again, everything about this incense was precious before God. They weren't even supposed to replicate it for any other reason. In fact, if you did, you would be cut off from the children of Israel. You would be cut off from the covenant people. And one thing the Jews did not want would be cut off. So God is very, very clear about that. So we're looking at the materials of the incense there in verse 34. We talked about stack day a few weeks ago. And I'm reminded of how precious, I know how precious that was. Um, very rare. Very hard to come by. And because of what it was used for, it was precious to God. And I'm not trying to compare this to the Word, if you will, the Word of God. But I do believe that God's Word is precious. His Word is precious. He's a living Word. Thank God for that. But He's also given us the written Word that we might know Him better. His words, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus said that in John chapter 6. And by the way, how many know there are only two things other than God that are eternal? as people and His Word. How many are glad for God's Word? God is good all the time. His Word is precious. We talked about the second one a couple of weeks ago, Annika. And again, a very difficult perfume to come by. But again, I'm again not saying that this is talking about his person. But I also believe not only is his word precious, his person is precious. The person of Jesus Christ. And we're not going to go into a lot of detail, but let me kind of list some things here, okay, about his person. First of all, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. How many have you seen, how many have seen a portrait that some person has either drawn or painted of Jesus? I don't believe they do Jesus justice. Um, he's not some long-haired hippie. He wasn't effeminate. He's a king of king of the Lord of Lords. Second of all, he is the very one the Old Testament prophesied was going to come. 
and we've been looking at the, the inspiration of God's Word on Wednesday night. That's one proof of it. They said he would come, and guess what? He came. But not only that, <clears throat> he's the one who came into this world. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross, rose again the third day, and ascended back to heaven. His person is precious. Now, he's in heaven now on the right hand of the Father, but how many know he's coming, he's coming again for his church? He's coming for us. The fifth thing about him, he's the one that we will stand before at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I went into quite a bit of detail about that a couple of weeks ago, but let me remind you, that is not to determine whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. <clears throat> if we are standing at the judgment seat of Christ, we're already saved. That was made, that determination was made at Calvary. How we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior. That judgment seat of Christ is when Christ gives out rewards. But he's also the one who is coming again in power and glory. <clears throat> and he was going to rule and reign, but we're going to rule and reign with him. His person is precious. But he's also the one who will sit on the great white throne of judgment. Now, let me encourage you to read about that because you won't be there. Amen. Amen. Those who stand before the white, the great white throne of judgment are lost. Their names are not in the book of the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. They have rejected the Savior, and they, along with death, hell, and Satan, will be cast into the lake of fire, the fire to burn forever and ever. But he's also the one we will worship in heaven for all of eternity. And my friend, we will never grow tired of worshiping him. That's how precious his person is. The third spice in that mixture was Galbanum. And again, all three of these spices were precious. They were hard to come by. But I want to speak about how precious his pain was. Now, I mentioned a few weeks ago that the word galbana means cutting. And they had to cut that plant open to get it out. But I want to think about the pain that Christ went through. And guess who he, guess who he did it for? I was talking to Sister Phyllis this morning, and uh, there's some issues going on with her and Ralph on their health and stuff. And, and I said, Phyllis, I appreciate your attitude. Uh, even though there's some things going on that are not good in your life as far as uh, physical ailments, I said, you've got a great attitude. And she said, how could I not have? After all Jesus did for me, after all the pain he suffered for me, she said, I've got to have a good attitude. I said, Phyllis, if you don't mind, remind me of that once in a while. We that I need that attitude too. 
Because God's done so much for us. Think about some of the things he suffered for us. They beat him. In Luke 22, 63 and 64. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy who it is that smote thee. Can you imagine slapping God in the face? But they did. Psalm 129, verse 3, The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. They beat him, discouraged him. Matthew 27, 26, Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. They also spit in his face. Matthew 27, 30. And they spit upon him, took the reed, and smote him on the head. Anybody here like to be spit on? Not me. They mocked him, Matthew 27, verse 27 through 29. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. The Bible says they even plucked his beard. Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. They stripped him of his clothes. In fact, they even gambled for his garments. Matthew 27, 28. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. Matthew 27, 35. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. They nailed him to a cross. Matthew 27, 38. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. I have read that crucifixion, death on a cross, is probably the most horrible form of execution known to mankind. <clears throat> In fact, uh, we get our word excruciating from it, meaning out of the cross. Out of the cross. But the eighth thing that really blows my mind All the pain he suffered came at the hand of a sovereign God. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching. Look at verse 22 through 24. Ye men of Israel, (coughs) hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, 
which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. But notice verse 23. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by wicked hands, have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should have been holden by it, of it. But notice there, him, Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel, and for knowledge of God. And by the way, we kind of jumped in in almost the middle of Peter's sermon. And without, as he's preaching there, without little forewarning, all of a sudden he says to those Jews, you are guilty. You are guilty in participating in the awful crucifixion of the Messiah. He died at your hands. But in the midst of that, Peter presents the sovereignty of God and man's responsibility. And he does it both in the same sentence. The very one that God in his sovereignty In his foreknowledge, the very one that God delivered, you took and you crucified. So what's going on here? This is God's prearranged plan. This was a part of God's determinate counsel and his foreknowledge. It was God's sovereign will to bring salvation to all mankind through the death of His Son. That was the predetermined counsel of God. And even though God's will is sovereign, God still works through people and He works through the events of history. So even the putting to death of Christ fulfilled God's plan. And so God's prearranged plans led to the death of Christ, but the Bible is very clear, people were responsible. You have taken and crucified. Now we know that Israel was under the thumb of Rome. And they weren't, the Jews were not allowed to execute anyone. So the lawless Romans, Gentiles, were involved. But the truth of the matter is, they were only helping. At the bottom line, the Jews were responsible. But look what God did, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, that's God, hath made him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Isn't that amazing? And we realize the cross was a cruel way to die. But how many know the cross epitomized the love of God? For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his son. John 15, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. No greater love. How many are glad Jesus laid down his life for you? Yes. The Bible is very clear that Jesus took on himself the sin of the world. John 1, 29. We, took, we looked at this last Sunday morning in Sunday school. The next day, John, this is John the baptizer, seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of of the world. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? You see, God judged Jesus in our place. God literally poured out his wrath onto the body of his son and make no mistake about it. Jesus suffered the undiluted wrath of God Almighty. And he did it for us. He did it for us. So even his pain is precious. And one of the reasons we worship him is because he suffered for us. And we worship him for his sacrifice, the price he paid. And we need to worship him for all that he did to purchase our salvation. Thank you, Jesus. The fourth ingredient mentioned of the incense was frankincense. Probably the one we are most familiar with when we talk about frankincense. We don't know a lot about it as far as most of us don't anyway, including, well, at least I don't. We think about it, one of the three gifts the wise man brought. So it was precious. It was taken from a tree. And whenever it was burned, it would give off a pure white smoke. Pure white. So it was part of the incense in that mixture there in the tabernacle. And thinking about the pure white smoke, and again, not trying to connect the two necessarily, but I think it's important we see the purity of Christ. The purity 
of Christ. Now think about this. Jesus is the sinless Son of God. Sinless. He was born without the taint of human sin. He never committed a single sin. Ever. As I was going through that tonight, I stopped for a minute. I texted our boys. And my question was, could Jesus have sinned? Could he have sinned? Have you ever thought about that? And I thought about preaching on that. I thought, you know what, I'm not going to yet. Because they're really both two sides of the argument. One side speaks of the impeccability, meaning he couldn't have. The other side says speaks of peccability, meaning he could have. But here's one thing everybody agrees on. He did not sin. He did not sin. Hebrews 7.26 For such a high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Wow. Do you know, do you know anybody else those adjectives fit? <clears throat> Excuse me. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. And that's interesting. Not only was Christ a suitable high priest, not only did he have an indestructible life, but he had other characteristics that show him as a high priest who's able to meet our needs. He was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So we have to realize some things about Jesus. Number one, he's holy. And that means he didn't know any sin. Hebrews 4.15 For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, notice says, yet without what? Without sin. Without sin. God became flesh, Jesus Christ. He had a divine nature and a human nature. And even though he was a human being, he was not like us in the fact that he did not have any sin. Nobody else can say that but him. And from my limited perspective, 
I want to tell you, it's not easy to understand that mystery. Fully God, fully man, tempted in every point as we are, yet without sin. Wow. (laughs) Whether we believe he could have sinned or whether we believe he could not have sinned, the issue is for sure we know about, and everybody agrees with this, every temptation he faced was real. It was real. But the Bible is very clear. He never once committed sin. And so that means that no matter what the temptation was, he never yielded to that temptation. And so, even though he didn't sin, we might say, well, how could he be understanding what we go through? Well, we have to remember, because Jesus faced temptation, he knows how difficult it is to resist. Because he was human. And I think it's kind of encouraging that we know that, even though... He did face temptation, but he did it without giving in to sin. But also, as the Spirit of God lives in us, he gives us the power to do that as well. But do we ever give give in? Sure we do. You do and I do. We don't want to admit that, but we do. But my friend, whenever we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, we won't give in. We will not give in. He was holy, he was harmless or blameless. Without evil, he was completely innocent. And the amazing thing for me is that when he lived here for those 33 and a half years, wherever it was, During that time, he faced temptation. But he remained completely obedient to God, and he remained completely without sin. Not only was he holy, he was pure. And he remained that way, undefiled, even though he had to deal with sinful people and live among them. The Bible says he was set apart from sinners. And the fact of the matter that he lived a sinless life, that puts him in a category all by himself. It separates him from sinful man. 
But we have to realize it's only through that separation by his sinlessness. It's only because of that he can act on our behalf. He's our Savior. He's our advocate. Because he was set apart. And the Bible says, He is now exalted above the heavens. Wow. Did you know that Jesus Christ is greater than any other high priest? Greater than Aaron? And you name any high priest, Christ is greater. And what makes him greater is this. The priest under the Old Testament economy would represent the people in the tabernacle. And by the way, that's how God designed it. That's why once a year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people. But my friend, Jesus represents us in the very throne room of God. In the very throne room of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read it earlier. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. 1 John 3.5 And you know that he was manifested, look at this, To take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So I want to submit to you tonight, everything about Jesus was precious. His word, his person, his pain. Everything. Because Jesus Christ was, and he is, the pure, sinless Son of God. The pure, sinless Son of God. He came into the world, the world he had created, and he came to give his life a ransom for the guilty, for you and I. He died for the sins of the whole world. And I want to remind all of us tonight. He did that when he died on the cross. And one of the last phrases he said before he died, before he gave up the ghost. It is 
finished. It's finished. So let's remember. We're to worship him. For his sinless nature. And what he's done. For us. Well, I'm going to stop there for tonight because we're, I'm going to get into the mixing of the ingredients of that incense. And then, Lord willing, we're going to go into the ministry of what it means. But I'm real glad tonight that Jesus took care of everything for you. He paid the price. He paid it all. And he did it for us. Let's stand together.